an excerpt from Strength to Love by Martin Luther King Jr. The Samaritan had the capacity for a universal altruism. He had a piercing insight into that which is beyond the eternal accidents of race, religion, and nationality. One of the great tragedies of man's long trek along the highway of history has been the limiting of neighborly concern to tribe, race, class, or nation. The God of early Old Testament days was a tribal God, and the ethic was tribal. Thou shall not kill meant thou shall not kill a fellow Israelite, but for God's sake, kill a Philistine. Greek democracy embraced a certain aristocracy, but not the hordes of Greek slaves whose labors built the city-states. The universalism at the center of the Declaration of Independence has been shamefully negated by America's appalling tendency to substitute some for all. Numerous people in the North and South still believe that the affirmation all men are created equal means all white men are created equal. Our unswerving devotion to monopolistic capitalism makes us more concerned about the economic security of the captains of industry than for the laboring men whose sweat and skills keep industry functioning. What are the devastating consequences of this narrow group-centered attitude? It means that one does not really mind what happens to the people outside his group. If an American is only concerned about his nation, he will not be concerned about the peoples of Asia, Africa, or South America. Is this not why nations engage in the madness of war without the slightest sense of penitence? Is this not why the murder of a citizen of your own nation is a crime, but the murder of the citizens of another nation in war is an act of heroic virtue? If manufacturers are concerned only in their personal interests, they will pass by on the other side. While thousands of working people are stripped of their jobs and left displaced on some Jericho Road as a result of automation, and they will judge every move toward a better distribution of wealth and a better life for the working man to be socialistic. The real tragedy of such narrow provincialism is that we see people as entities or merely as things. Too seldom do we see people in their true humanism, humanness. A spiritual myopia limits our vision to external accidents. We see men as Jews or Gentiles, Catholics or Protestants, Chinese or American, Negroes or whites. We fail to think of them as fellow human beings made from the same basic stuff as we, molded in the same divine image. The priest and the Levite saw only a bleeding body not a human being like themselves. But the Good Samaritan 
will always remind us to remove the cataracts of provincialism from our spiritual eyes and see men as men. If the Samaritan had considered the wounded man as a Jew first, he would not have stopped, for the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings. He saw him as a human being first, who was a Jew only by accident. The good neighbor looks beyond the external accidents and discerns their inner qualities that make all men human and therefore brothers. Lord, we thank you for be a transcendent people. We thank you, Father, that you give us eyes to see what you are saying in these prophetic times. We pray, God, that we would hear your voice. Father, we pray that we would be people who build your kingdom, not just a nation, not just a tribe not just a church, not just a family, not just our personal relationship with you, but, Father, that we would be a people of the natural world that sees more than the natural kingdoms of this earth. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see that which you need us to see. Amen. Amen. Something that stood, stood out to me today as we saw those, re, uh, heard that, uh, watched that awesome reading uh, is that I think sometimes we have passed on to our government what was meant to be our responsibility. Okay? I think we're looking for the government to solve our financial issues, to solve our social issues, to solve all the things that are problematic in our world today. But this is why the kingdom of God is here. Right? The kingdom of God is here. If the church was doing its job, if Christians were really building the kingdom of God, how many of the programs that we're dependent on within our government would be necessary? And so I'm hearing God speaking. I'm hearing God nudging. I'm hearing God challenging, saying what you're looking for out of your presidents, out of your governors, out of your lawmakers. I'm tugging on your heart to be the church, to fulfill that which you see is needed in our country today. And so today I believe I got a word for you that addresses some of those things as we go into one of the most strangest, most difficult seasons that we've ever experienced. But also one of the most exciting, prophetic, God-speaking seasons we've ever encountered in our lifetime, I believe. And so as we 
open ourselves up, let me share a little vulnerability with you. It's okay, it's funny. It'll be funny. Well, kind of. So yesterday, uh, as I was working uh, at my son's house, he's remodeling a house, Cameron's remodeling his house with his wife, Alyssa, uh, we rented a piece of equipment, uh, a bobcat. Everybody familiar with those? Okay, little compact skid steer, bulldozer type thing. Uh, and he's got this, he's got some property there with a lot of sticker bushes on it. And so we were clearing one area out and had to dump some of the, the scrappy uh, dirt that had wood and rocks in it away from the house so we could clean it up a little bit. So I'm driving this thing, and I'm excited because it's got power. Uh, even though it took me about an hour to figure out which way's up, which way's down, and which way's left and right, and finally figured it out and got pretty, you know, okay. Well, so he's got all these sticker bushes, and I didn't realize you could just drive straight into these things and just plow down sticker bushes, just boom, knocking them down, just blowing through it, right? Having such a great time. But I, I, I knew that there were on the property these big, deep holes that they dug for perk tests when they were trying to develop the property earlier. So they dug these holes that were about four feet deep and about six feet long uh, just to see if water would drain out for the ends before they could get their permits, right? And so, so I'm like, I'm, I know where these things are. I've seen them. I've walked around the property and stuff, but I didn't know where all of them were. And so I'm just buzzing along, and I see one of the holes, so I turn to the right and go right into another one. And it's not that funny. Okay? And so I hit it, and all I could hear, and, and, and I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Oh, I know how to get out of this. I'll just pull the bucket over and then pull myself out of it, right? And so I did that, and it's working out pretty good, and I'm almost out of it. And right as that happened, the wall of the other side caved in and the back end goes in and I'm stuck. The wheels are spinning. And so I spent about 45 minutes trying to get out of that situation. Uh, and I didn't want to go tell Cameron what happened. <laughs> okay. Because right before I did that, he goes, you need to watch where you're going. Because those holes are out there. Okay. And I, I went into the very holes that he said, be careful of. As I'm spinning in this spot, I'm stuck. I'm embarrassed. I feel stupid. I did the wrong thing. All that stuff. And I'm like walking back. I'm just like, oh, man, I got to tell him. I can't, I, I can't bear to see his face or what he's going to say. And I get up to him, and after his initial frustration, we just kind of laughed about it. We went and tried to get it out. We couldn't get it out. And uh, I remember how frustrated I was because I couldn't move forward. I couldn't move backwards. I couldn't move to the left or the right, up or down. I couldn't do nothing. So I go home, and uh, I'm frustrated because I did something stupid, in my opinion, really dumb. And no way to get out of it without getting a tow truck or doing something to get it out. And uh, the more I dwelled on it, the more depressed I got about it. 
So I decided to go online and look up how to get a bobcat stuck out of the mud. And I found all kinds of videos, lots of them. And the more I watched, the more I go, oh, I think I could do this. I think we can get out. I think I have an idea to get us out of this situation. And all of a sudden, I started visualizing where trees were, where we could hook up a winch, where we could bring in a four-wheel and do a block attack or whatever the case may be, and I could see it. I could see several of the, the, the ideas that people suggested online and videotaped and showed how to do it. All of a sudden, now, I was starting to feel some hope. I'm, I'm so excited. In fact, I might end this sermon a little early this morning just so I can go and get it done. Because I am so, some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I, I am so excited to get this done. And all of a sudden, my countenance meant, went from depressed and sad and ashamed to being excited and hopeful and ready to go out and do something. Are, are you catching what I'm saying? And I think we are living in a state of mind right now where we kind of feel a little stuck, Right? We feel stuck relationally. We feel stuck in worship and, and going to church and, and work might be shut down for some of you or some of you that are really doing well with your business and stuff. You, you look and you see family members that aren't. And so we're at this, this place, right, where it, it can weigh on you after a while. And the more you see that you're stuck, the more sadder you get, the more frustrated you get. And I believe that God wants to use that illustration right now to show you that the longer you see where you're stuck and stare at it, it keeps you from seeing where God wants you to go and how he wants you to move forward. Are you catching what I'm saying? Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, get it. If, if you have a phone with you, look this up. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1. We, the prophets have been speaking to people for years. You know, we, we just heard a reading from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's going to be Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. Many of you had the day off. I'm hoping that the day, it's more than a day off for you. I hope it's, it's, a, it's a time where you take some time to reflect and, and uh, internalize some of the events that have been going on uh, over the last year and, and in our history as a country and our uh, human existence as well as the writings that you just heard read uh, focus on. But we know that prophets are raised up, not just in the scripture, but also prophetic voices of our times that address the challenges that human beings have been going through for many, many years. Okay, And it seems to come and go in seasons and periods of time. And so God always raises up prophetic voices. Some are written down in scriptures, others are not. But whenever you're in a time like this, you listen for voices to speak. Voices that echo the spirit of God. And so when Dr. King was giving his speech, I have a dream, he was reflecting on different passages from Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah. And this, this, this chapter in Jeremiah, chapter 1, when God starts speaking to Jeremiah, he says this. Somewhere in the scriptures that I'm about to find as I turn the pages, 
that I have in size 14 font that I can read because I can't read them out of the small font uh, yeah. <laughs> as well. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Here's Jeremiah's response. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say that I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some of you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Then the Lord said to me, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? I see a branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that's right. It means that I'm watching and I will certainly carry out all of my plans. This is a really interesting phrase here. He says, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. An almond tree is the first to bloom in Israel. It's the first one to bloom after a hard winter. The tree looks pretty ragged and worn out, but it's the first. It brings some hope, some anticipation that some fruit is coming. It's not here yet. It's been a tough winter, and nothing else is blooming around you, but it's a sign of hope. Around here, it's crocuses, right? First thing to pop up that lets you know, oh, spring's coming in two months. <laughs> Down the road. So he goes to Jeremiah, and he's, he's saying, hey, I recognize that you guys are in exile. I recognize the fact that you're having troubled times, that you feel enslaved or stuck. You feel like all of your rights, all of your uh, opportunities have disappeared. You can't do what you want. You can't come and go the way that you want to come and go. And he identifies with Jeremiah. And he begins to build something inside of Jeremiah to move people past their exile, their slavery, their pain, their limitations, their hopelessness. And he begins to build a vision inside of them. And the way that Jeremiah is getting this thing planted into his spirit is God says, what do you see? What do you see? Because God knows that if you're told to do this or to do that, but you see something different, it'll be short-lived. In all of our lives, the way that God begins to move us out of a cold, dark season where nothing's blooming, where no fruit is being produced, whether it's as a nation or as a church, a community, a city, a family, a marriage, whatever the case may be, when God wants to move you forward, the first thing he begins to do is change what you see. And Cameron and I would not be able to get that bobcat out unless we changed 
what we saw, we would have kept spinning our wheels. The more we stared at it, the more our wheels would spin. But when the, what I saw, what we saw, I sent Cameron the video. I said, look at this, so that he could see that there's a way out. God says, what do you see? Then he follows it up and says, I'm going to get my plans done. I'm going to get my plans done. In other words, there are some plans. Jeremiah 29 says this, I know the thoughts, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. So God's got plans for us. He's got plans for our nation. He's got plans for our city. He's got plans for our church. He's got plans for you, your family. He's got plans. But to move past where we're at, it's going to start with God saying to you and to me, what do you see? What do you see? Now, you see, there's a lot of things that you can see. There's a lot of things that you can look at. Uh, I got a little list of them here right here. Do you see the flaws? Do you see flaws in yourself? Jeremiah said, I'm too young. He saw it as a flaw. He saw it as something that discredited him. With yourself, when I start talking to you about building something, building a vision, building something for, for your family, building something for your community, building something for your church, building something that makes the world better. Do you see your disqualification? Do you see all your flaws? Oh, well, I have an addiction. I'm too old. You see the things that limit you? What do you see when you look out at the world right now? Do you see hate? Is what you see is hate? Are you staring at the things that you hate? Sometimes we'll get up, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, and we'll stare at the things that we hate. And we'll get emboldened into things that we hate. And all of a sudden, it starts to give us a vision. And pretty soon, the darkness begins to create your vision instead of the thing that God shows you to see. But what do you see? You know, I watched this documentary with my son the other day called The Social Dilemma. Somebody seen it? Anybody seen it? Okay. And it shows how social media makes really great money in pitting people against each other. Left and right, black and white, old and young, rich and poor, male and female, just whatever it is. And so it shows how whatever you look like online, whatever you look at online, whether it's Google, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever the case may be, it begins to pick up an algorithm of what you like and start sending you more of the same thing. And the more you get that, the more you get infuriated or the more you become tribal or the more you become part of a, a group. Are you following me? Okay, this was, this was done, what, six months ago? And how these companies make great money on keep, keeping you and me, Christian and non-Christian, 
Christian and Muslim, United States with other countries, the more we stare at these things, the more we get of what we want or hate. And so we're living in a time where we are not having God shape our view of how to get unstuck. Now we have companies designed to make money that pit us against each other and create what we see. What do you see? What do you see? Uh, a guy named Alexander Shia, and he is, is an amazing theologian. Uh, and he tells the story about how his families had immigrated and people were uh, prejudiced against his family because of two things. One, they were from the Middle East, and two, uh, they were, were Christians. And so um, there was this tension that rose up in their community, and their family, their immigrant family, was pretty big, and they spent a lot of time having Sunday dinners and gathering together and enjoying each other's company and all that kind of stuff. And one day before the Sunday gathering, the house was burned to the ground with uh, crosses out in the front yard and all those kinds of things. And they, the family gathered and watched the house burn down with all of their heirlooms and possessions that grandma had had. And so they couldn't gather at grandma's house. They were so angry. They were, felt like they were the victims of hate. Well, they were the victims of hate. They were trying to, be, they were trying to drive them out of the community with their anger and their hostility. And so the, the grandmother said, we're still going to have our dinner and gathered them all together for a dinner. And, um, and I'm not really sure on the, the timing of the dinner. I was really close right after the fire. And when they got to the dinner, they sat everybody down, everybody's still angry, everybody's still just mourning the loss of this home and sad for their grandmother. And the grandmother says, I want to talk to you. And she looked around the room and stared at each one of them in the eyes, went from one person to the next. And she said, no hate, no hate, no hate, no hate, no hate. And went around the whole room saying no hate. And Alexander Shia, as a young boy, now in his 60s, he's now in his 60s, but reflecting back on this story, he said, from that day on, any time I've ever experienced any type of persecution or any type of hate or any kind of anything that would cause me to hate another human being, I remember my grandmother saying, no hate, no hate, no hate, because she knew that whatever you look at, you move towards. Whatever you hate, you'll dehumanize. So when we talk about building and having a vision, we have to recognize that some people are distracted away from having a godly vision or having a godly build, having a godly inspiration, a godly solution to a problem. We begin to be shaped by these things around us instead of what we see that God plants in our spirit. What do you see? Do you see the past? 
You look at the past and you see all the things that people have, have done to you? Do you look at the past and see all the things that you failed at? When God begins to build something inside of you, sometimes the past can try to interfere with the thing that God is speaking to you to do and be. What do you see? Do you see the past? Your past failures? All the things that you've done wrong? Do you see your wounds? Some people build entire visions for their life on their wound. I will never do this because this happened. A dark thing takes place. They get wounded. And they allow that wound to shape who they become. And they miss out on the whisper of God that says, Hey, Steve, what do you see? Well, I see a wound. You don't see correct, Steve. Don't look at the wound. Look at what I'm about to show you. What do you see? Do you see and plot, you see and plot revenge? Some of us, our vision is to get even. Our ex did us wrong, took all the money. What do you see? God wants to move you forward. He's asking you what you see. If all you see is revenge, we start going down the wrong path. What do you see? Do you see financial limits? Do you see limits to how you can live based on your current income? Or lack thereof? Do you look at the past and see how little you've had in the past and project it into the future? What do you see? Do you see I can't? Every time an idea comes to you, you think of a reason why you can't? What do you see? And so as we, we look at this, we begin to realize that what you see causes you to move forward unless you're looking back at what was or even what is. But when you look forward, you're moving towards something that you see. Like when you plant a seed. I think I have a picture here. Uh, can we pull that up? When you buy seeds... Look at this. There's no picture of any seeds. They're selling you seeds, but they don't give you any pictures of seeds. It's kind of deceptive, isn't it? No, because when you buy packs of seeds, you're looking for this end result. But there's a process that needs to happen. Is that God wants to take you through a process. He starts with the seed of what you see. So when you look at this packet, you're like going, okay, I want that. I want that. I, well, yeah, I want some of that chard. I want, okay, I want some of that lettuce. Okay, those flowers would be nice in the backyard. Okay, some beans and some bacon. Oh, no, not bacon. Um, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying. And so you see something that you want. So they pull you in by what you want. So you buy the seeds. God does the same thing. He gives you a picture of what you want. And then he pulls you forward. Causes you to plant. 
It causes you to act. It causes you to plan. It causes you to stop. It might even cause you to repent. But God wants to pull you forward. Now, the interesting thing is in Dr. King's I've Got a Dream speech, he spends the first two-thirds, at least two-thirds of his speech talking about the injustices and, and the discrimination and the, the dysfunction of our country and, and the state of our, our country at that time. And he's addressing this and he's speaking truth to power, prophetically, speaking to people, correcting behaviors and thinkings and trying to change the picture. But he moves from destroying and tearing down, like Jeremiah says, to planning a vision. And all of a sudden, as soon as he gets to the place where he's starting to talk about, I have a dream, you literally can begin to see a picture of something. But if he would have stopped with what everything that was wrong and dysfunctional and inhumane, we would have been left with that. All of it being true, all of it being addressed appropriately, but you can't stop there. you got to be able to see what you want. What do we want going forward? What do you want for your family? What do you see? What do you want for your church? What do you see? So when we start talking about building, we got to start with a vision. Not just a vision of your plans and your ideas, but something that's going to make life better for your family, for your church, for your community, for your world, as inspired by God. And God wants to put inside of your mind something for you to see. For Jeremiah, it was an all, it was a almond branch that was sprouting, giving hope to pull forward. What's God stirring inside of you? Are you focused in on what you don't want? Or you focus in on what God wants you to build. Now, we know this, that when Jesus told us to pray, he said this. He said, pray, Matthew chapter 6. I think we have that passage, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to the other one. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This imagination of what God in heaven would want done here on earth is what God wants to do inside of you. So when you pray, he's saying spend some time asking God to bring the will of heaven down here to earth. And when he says earth, your family your school, your neighborhood, your tension between you and your friends, your tension between whatever the case may be. God wants to give you a heavenly vision to move you forward. And when we get that picture inside of our mind and we recognize that we're teaming up with God and we're not just asking God to do what we want done, we ask God, what does he want done? There's a big difference. When you go to God and give him all your plans and you ask him to make it happen is way different than when you go to God and say, God, reveal your plans so that I can go make it happen. Did you catch that? 
There is a big difference between the prayer that says, God, fix this, and God, use me to fix this. Show me, God. Lead me, guide me, direct me. We're going into a time where we're going to need Christians to be more loyal to that voice from the Spirit of God than loyal to Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok. We need to get our cues from the Scripture. We need to get our cues from spending time asking God to bring heaven to earth. We need to get our picture to come from what is ahead as opposed to what happened back here. We need to begin to begin the way that we heal is to see where we're headed, not run from where we were. Now listen, I'm going to read this song that we just sang. And sometimes we sing these songs and we go, oh, I like that song. That's a good song. That's, a, that's, a, that's all right. And, and some of them are good. Some of them aren't so good. Uh, but um, most of them are good because Noel is a, does a good job picking them up. But listen to this on the, the new, new Thing song that we just sang. She said, it goes like this. It says, we're ready for what's yet to come. Ready for what you've got next. We're ready for the past to pass. We're running where the future is. It's coming like a, the rising sun. We want to see your kingdom come. Do a new thing. Oh, come do a new thing. Because you're doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing. God wants to get our minds like that. Now, the scripture that we had up earlier, uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, 23. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, the whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So in other words, how you see what's ahead, if it's being shaped by what's behind, if it's being shaped by what's not working, if it's being shaped by injustice, but it's being shaped by something that God is beginning to give you a new picture, then all of a sudden we start moving towards that which God has for us. And then we get the bobcat unstuck. Do you see what I mean? And so as we talk about building in, in, in the weeks to come, Actually, in the year to come, we need to keep our eyes on the vision that God has for us, not the vision that the world has for us. I encourage you to watch that, that documentary on the social dilemma. Not, not to put fear in your heart, but to put wisdom in your soul. Put wisdom in your soul. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to address a few things about Okay, when you get to this place where you get a vision or God begins to paint this picture for you, how do you get started? Because, you know, Jeremiah, he gets the, God speaks to Jeremiah and he gives them some generalities. He says, build houses, plant gardens, build and plant, do all these things. It's, it's, it's not specific because not all of you are going to build a house. Not all of you are going to plant a garden. But next week, we're going to address that. 
what do you do? You. What do you do? How do you hear God say something to you? How do you sense that God is moving you in a certain direction? And how do you practically get it into your life at school, at work, at home? How do you know exactly what thing to build? I'm going to show you how you do that. Because there's, there's a few things that you can do that will make it super, super clear for you. We have a great example in Nehemiah where he shows us different principles of building to move a people forward. And do not look down on the part that you contribute because what you contribute is huge. You just don't know it yet. God is doing a new thing and he's going to use you. Let me pray. Father, I pray right now that your spirit would begin to speak in ways that we have not yet heard. I pray, God, that you would begin to show us that new thing that you're wanting to do. Lord, it almost seems kind of strange to ask vision for the future in the mix of current climate right now. There's so much to do in this current climate to give us a mind that moves forward almost seems just off. But God, we know that this is how you move people forward is in the middle of exile, in the middle of limitations, in the middle of dark seasons. You begin to do a new thing. So do that new thing in me. Do that new thing in this church. Do the new thing in our families, God. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in Jesus' name.